Hi, my name is Dave Sanderson. Welcome to the Red Jacket podcast. At Red Jacket, we believe wealth is the fountainhead of flourishing, not just for you and your family, but for a society. We work with clients who want to grow and protect that wealth. And the greatest destroyer of that wealth is taxation, direct taxation, income tax, corporate tax, and indirect taxation, inflation, which is built into the fiat monetary system. On this podcast, we share with you our insights, our experience, and our relationships, not just so that you can fight those forces, but so that you can exploit them. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Okay, Ken. Ken Gordon, let's talk GAR. Okay, so I'm only laughing because it comes up every day, and I know you can riff on it, which we will here. Um. Give me a couple minutes to to set the historical stage, um, because I think your comments are going to be really current, which is great. So historically, on Gar, nineteen eighty four is a big year. Nineteen eighty four is the Supreme Court of Canada, Stubart. Okay. There's no Gar in Canada in nineteen eighty four. It doesn't come in until post Stubart. The Attorney General in Stubart takes the case forward and says, this taxpayer did everything correctly. In an agreed statement of facts, this taxpayer, they did it. They sold assets from one company to a sister company. They were income producing assets and there's losses in that sister company. They followed the act. I'll give them that. The Attorney General also said, I'm not going to use Section 137, which was, you know, discretionary, GAR-like. He just said, I'm not using it. I'm going to win this case on one thing. I'm going to win this case on the business purpose test, which I think should be a part of Canadian law and is a part of the U.S. law. Canadian business purpose test, meaning what? Well, meaning we're going to look at the business purpose of the transaction. If it's just a transaction for tax. And it's against the spirit of the provision we're going to find against the taxpayer. And the Supreme Court of Canada said, no, we're not doing that in this country. Because they said no, we had to enact GAR. Okay, so that's enacted in 1988. The first GAR case at the Supreme Court of Canada is 2005, Canada Trusco. And the whole system's worried during those years about how liberal this is, liberally this is going to get applied. And Canada Trusco says to the relief of the community, let's be very careful how we apply this. This might be an extraordinary remedy and we're only going to apply it in certain cases. And in those cases, it's where there is an abuse of the act. And what determines an abuse of the act, we're still arguing about today. So. I'm not sure I agree with that. Go ahead. I think Canada Trusco, which everyone even to today agrees is the seminal case, laid out a framework laid out a series of elements to consider, walked through 
the three steps of Gar. And they did that because they realized that we're dealing in the world of law here, not in, in does CRA dislike this or do they like it? That's not what this is about. Sadly today, and it's pervasive among many accounts, the perception which they often create or assume that CRA may not like this makes many accountants think that therefore you have a problem with GAR. They've sort of intertwined two concepts that actually don't fit together. The theory being maybe CRA won't like it and therefore it probably violates GAR or they use the expression, I'm worried about GAR. Right. And I hate to say it, but 98% of accounts have no idea how the law works with GAR. And I hate to be so negative, but they don't. And Canada Trustco laid out rules. And those rules are still followed today and have been supported today through follow subsequent tax court of Canada all the way up to Supreme Court of Canada cases. And so if you follow the rules, the rules are actually fairly straightforward. Number one, first step, is there a tax benefit? Okay, well, if this is a tax shelter, which is what we're going to ultimately discuss in the context of, yes, there's a tax benefit. No one would disagree. Step number two, is this what is referred to as an avoidance transaction? And there you can get into a little bit of discussion of was there an underlying business or was it exclusively for tax purposes? The fight, if you have a fight, is not likely to be under step two. And certainly in our case, we'll accept there, this is probably an avoidance transaction. So the test in two is, is the primary reason something other than tax? Correct. That's the test. Correct. And sometimes that's true. And, and we're happy to back away from that argument here. We're happy to say, okay, let's accept that people who are buying this smart savings plan are highly tax motivated. We don't need to hide that because right. the Income Tax Act doesn't say you can't be tax-motivated. In fact, it says there's legitimate avoidance and abusive avoidance. So then you get to the essential step three, which is, is there a misuse and abuse of a provision or series of provisions in the Income Tax Act? Or arguably a misuse or an abuse of the act as read as a whole? So if you just look at those words, there is room for some concern and confusion. And that's why Canada Trusco and subsequent cases went further and said, in essence, what do you look for for misuse and abuse? And they, the framework they laid out was clearly designed to be in favor of, not exclusively, but leaning towards the favor of the taxpayer, not the government that this was not supposed to be used as a catch-all provision to be used to shut down any type of tax planning or tax shelter that the CRA didn't like. So how did the Supreme Court deal with this and how do they continue to reinforce? Is it's based on policy. What is policy? Policy has to be written, clear, unequivocal. There has to be evidence of the government releasing a provision and announcing along with that provision the purpose behind it. Why are they doing it? 
And if the tax planning or the tax shelter violates a clear written policy that existed and was announced at the time the provision came out, regardless of whether CRA likes or dislikes this, then maybe you have a misuse and abuse, a violation of that clear and unequivocal policy. What happened is the, the waters got a little bit muddied for a number of years, because even though Canada Trusco was the seminal case and, and it clearly laid out the rules, over time, there were a number of cases of the Federal Court of Appeal where the Federal Court of Appeal was, seemed to be often a frolic of its own, <laughs> where they were making decisions on GAR issues where the taxpayer had won in the Tax Court of Canada, and suddenly the Federal Court of Appeal decided, no, we don't like it. And they were expanding or taking license with the policy. What was the underlying policy? And it kind of blurred the waters, and that got out into the community. And that actually happened up until very recently. So that it created a sort of a sense or sentiment among tax lawyers and accountants and tax accountants across Canada that the certainty or near certainty laid down by Canada Trust Co. has been damaged by the Federal Court of Appeal. And there was quite a bit of concern among tax lawyers as to whether or not Canada Trust Co. will still continue to be viewed the way it should be viewed. And then all of a sudden, last November 26, the Supreme Court of Canada came out with their first recent GAR case in a number of years. And in my opinion, people may or may not agree with me, but in my opinion, they slapped down the Federal Court of Appeal. And they made sure that they made it clear in that decision, which overturns, if you will, the comments made by the Federal Court of Appeal that attempted to muddy the waters. And they made it clear that Canada Trust Co. still rules and that there is a framework to be followed. And that framework is unless there is a clear and unequivocal violation of a policy that is clear and written and you can point to and you can see that the government made it absolutely clear in writing and conversations and discussions in the House of Commons what the purpose of this provision was. And absent that, everything should be decided in favor of the taxpayer. And if there's any doubt at all, the balance falls to the taxpayer, not to the government. But the sad reality is the Federal Court of Appeal still seems to have permeated the view of the tax community outside of lawyers who now are comforted by the return to the principles of Canada Trust Co. espoused by uh, this recent case. So I am sadly seeing that the word GAR has taken on a meaning among the, I would call it, those who profess to be tax practitioners who've actually never read a tax case. <laughs> and there's many of them because that's not their expertise unless they're tax lawyers. You sit down with a tax lawyer, you're fine. Right. They follow the history. They follow exactly what I have outlined. But I can't tell you how many calls I have with accountants who may or may not have any tax expertise, but because they file a tax return for hundreds of clients every year, they think they're tax experts who say, well, this all looks well and good and it all makes sense to me, but I'm worried about GAR. 
and I want my head wants to explode <laughs> because I want to say, have you ever read a Gar case? Do you know that Gar is a legal issue? It's not a touchy feely. I don't think Canada uh, Revenue Canada is going to like it issue. It's a legal issue, and there's a structure and a framework, and it's clear. And the Supreme Court has gone to great lengths um, to reiterate it again more recently. And that thankfully returns all of us to the original principles of tax planning, which was espoused in the Westminster, Duke of Westminster case. Right. So at the very same time as the U.S. case, Gregory and Hilvering, right, 1935, which said, we're going to look at business purpose. The House of Lords said the Duke of Westminster, which is? You, everyone is entitled to plan their tax affairs, to minimize. Not only are they entitled to, they have absolutely no obligation to pay the maximum tax. Tax is an obligation created by statute and law. And therefore, if the law allows you to pay the minimum amount of tax, the law should support that. And what's really interesting is the Supreme Court went further last November 26th and said, it doesn't even matter if you don't like what was done. It's not an issue of immorality. It's not an issue of you're not comfortable. It's an issue of, is there a clear and unequivocal policy that has been violated? And absent that, the taxpayer wins. Right. And that has to permeate through again to the tax community, non-lawyer tax community, and especially to the litany of tax, uh, of accountants out there who seem to think that GAR is some mystical, grand concern that allows CRE to do whatever yeah, the hell yeah, they yeah. want. So that's a that's beautiful. Let's let's stay on this a little bit because it's so important. So Canada Trusco, the first um, Supreme Court of Canada pronouncement on GAR, right? It comes out in '88. It's 2005. The first words out of their mouth are Duke of Westminster, right? <laughs> Very early in that decision. If you're all wondering who we're going with, whether we're going with business purpose or Duke of Westminster, the answer is we're Duke of Westminster. That's right. Tax minimization is not bad. It's not bad. If your neighbor or inland revenue doesn't like it, so be it. You're just managing your affairs to minimize tax, and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's the first pronouncement by the Supreme Court of Canada. And then as you say, things get a little money. Federal Court of Appeal seems to find for CRA often, including Dean's Knight, which I think is just a huge uh, transgression, but is being heard in the Supreme Court of Canada this November. So the Supreme Court gets another chance this November. The case you're talking about is Alta Energy. And not only did Alta Energy say Duke of Westminster, right, as a complete nod to the Canada Trusco case, but then went on for pages and pages and pages to try to understand the policy that CRA, CRA said was so obviously abused. And they said, no, we've done our work. If legislature wants everybody to know its intention, it needs to write the words in the act. So you touched on this briefly. This is law, but it's also 
it's really the confiscation of our property. If you're going to confiscate our property, you better write your laws with great specificity. Right. The act today is a million words long. Okay. (laughs) Add some more words. If you find a taxpayer has done something that does fit within the act, but you don't like it, fix the act. The obligation to pay tax is a creature of statute. Right. And the law treats it like a creature of statute, not a moral issue. Yet, somehow the usage of the word misuse and abuse, some people misperceive that as some kind of a morality. Right. It's not about being moral. You either are allowed to keep what you've worked hard for, or you're not. But if you're not and you're giving it to the government, it has to be clear and unequivocal and based on a policy for them to take away what you've worked hard for. So, and, and if you're, as you said, if your neighbor or the CRA wants to apply some kind of self-righteous morality to it, it's not relevant in the law. And as being a creature of statute, it's based on law, not on morality. Right. And, and let's, because for the casual observer, they never really turn their mind to, what is GAR anyway? So you've talked about policy. So let's just put it in the simplest terms as you and I can. This act is written so that it tells taxpayers what they can and cannot do. A lot of taxpayers were complying with the act but getting a result that, quote-unquote, the legislature wouldn't have intended. But that's pretty soft. If you don't want this result, write your laws more particularly. So what does GAR do? What does GAR do in that instance? It says it's only applicable if the act has been absolutely followed. So you followed the act. We're admitting that. By, by, by the CRA saying GAR, it's admitting you followed the act. Well, if I followed the act, I shouldn't get the tax attribute, correct? Well, we can't anticipate every sophisticated transaction that can go on out there. So give us a break. Don't make us write every perfect provision to catch every transaction. Give us a little wiggle room. That's what GAR is. Give us a little wiggle room. Let's say the provision doesn't quite catch it, but you really, really know that the underlying policy of that provision is to catch this very transaction. That's what GAR is. Now, when you live in a country of rule of law, you tend to write your laws better and not use a very sort of soft, policy-driven, of course... Well, the f- laws that aren't clear are unenforceable. Right. Ken, let's, I think it's helpful for people who don't spend as much time as you do in the area, to make things tangible. Let's talk about Canada Trust Code. Let's talk about the actual facts of that case. Because sometimes when a client is considering using the smart savings program, they think, well, I'm, I'm borrowing all this money and it's going back to the lender. Oh my gosh, something called general anti-avoidance rules must catch that, right? So... What are the facts of Canada Trusco? Well, real quick, the Royal Bank of Canada lends Canada Trusco $90 million. Canada Trusco buys some trailers, trucks. Right. What do they need them for? Well, they don't. 
So they do a sale leaseback transaction, and the 90 million goes right back to the Royal Bank of Canada five minutes later. So why did they do all that? To get the capital cost allowance for those trailers. Okay, so when CRA found this $30 million tax advantage by Canada Trusco for trailers they don't even use that were previously in the United States of America, so there's no policy reason to give them the capital cost allowance on it, the CRA, quote-unquote, didn't like it, of course. Well, let's recognize, first of all, CRA is the enforcement division. It's the collections division. They don't write the law, so they don't like it. And then that case makes it all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Supreme Court of Canada said, well, what they did fits the provisions. It fits the act. You want us to set aside this $30 million tax attribute because what? Even though the provisions don't specifically say that, you want us to recognize that the intention of the legislature was really not to have this happen, right? So they use the phrase object, spirit, and purpose. So what's the object, spirit, and purpose of this capital cost allowance rule? If I can find a really obvious object, spirit, and purpose, I can say, well, the words didn't quite catch you, but but I'm still going to find that you owe the tax. But they couldn't find it in Canada Trusco, right? So I think it really helps to look at those facts and say that's what's going on at the big boy level, at the Royal Bank and Canada Trusco. And the Supreme Court of Canada is saying, yeah, you know what? If you guys want to catch this particular tax attribute, you got to write a different set of provisions, which by the way, there's an annual process for writing these provisions and amending the provisions, right? So I don't know, what does that make you think of? Does that help? Does that bring some tangible feel to what is this thing called GAR? Here's the way I would look at it. CRA prefers to look at a provision and say, I don't like it, therefore it shouldn't exist. And it, it must therefore violate something. And the law says it doesn't matter. It's not that you, sh it's, you have to have a clear policy that you have violated. Why not clear, why not clear words? Clear words and clear policy. Yeah. But policy can be derived from extraneous right. external words that's, in addition. That's what GAR adds. But, We're going to let you go looking a little further to bring some meaning to those plain words which we all recognize don't catch this taxpayer. So what CRA does is says it could, shouldn't have allowed this. Right. And therefore, we think it didn't allow this. Right. And there's nothing that says anywhere you should be allowed to do this. GAR doesn't work that way. GAR works the exact opposite. It says, is there a policy that you violated? Not, is there a policy that allows you to do this? And if there isn't, right. CRA can attack. Right. It's much more focused on, focused in favor of the taxpayer and in favor of intelligent, strategic tax planning. You are, it comes from the world or the, visual, the, the perspective that you can reduce taxes and you're allowed to reduce taxes. And the only thing that stops you when applying GAR 
is a misuse and abuse, and you only have a misuse and abuse if you have violated. So we're, CRA likes to go looking to see if there's anything that allows you to do this. That's not what it's all about. Yeah. And the Supreme Court's admonition in Canada Trusco was not only that you have to find a policy that denies the attribute, because remember, and sorry for the repetition, but the words of the act are allowing the tax attribute. Otherwise, we're not talking about GAR. Right. So the words say it's okay. So then you got to go find a policy that is very obvious that says it's not okay. And the admonition Supreme Court of Canada, Canada Trusco case was, don't go looking for a general overarching policy CRA and say, generally speaking, we you know want these taxes. No, you have to find the specific policy of the provisions relied on by this taxpayer. And Alta Energy reinforced right. that and went further and said, this isn't about morality. Right. This isn't about whether you like it or dislike it. This is about did the Ministry of Finance, when they enacted these, relative, right. these rules, announce policies that have now been violated by your using those provisions right. of the act. And that didn't exist. Right. And it didn't exist for Alta Energy, and it didn't exist in Canada Trusco. Right. And then we're going to get another chance here in Dean's Night. Uh, the Supreme Court of Canada is going to get another chance to opine on this. You know, we won't go into the facts of Dean's Night, but to take a provision like Section 111.5, the loss utilization provision, and say, well, Justice Yakabuchi said control means specifically this. Okay, that's the Supreme Court of Canada. You as the Federal Court of Appeal, you can't recharacterize the word. That's <laughs> just, that's not how the world works. And then if we look at this from another level, I... I was uh, at Steichman in the 90s, and I used to practice beside Robert Cousin. So, Hewitt Steichman and Robert Cousin wrote this beautiful 1995 uh, piece on surplus stripping. And you probably read it, but there's this, there's this piece in there that says, look, it's not witticism or cynicism. Let's rely on the market. So, the market, meaning taxpayers with expensive advisors, are going to do things that reveal gaps in the act. Why don't we celebrate that? Why don't we say, you know what, you found one. It's like hackers. What do you do with a piece of software before you launch it? You give it to some guys and see if they can hack it. So this is a very interesting issue because it's been made clear in a number of cases, including Canada Trusco and, and Alta Energy, that GAR is not to be used to fill gaps and in the I act. I love that. It's not. In fact, it's specifically prohibited to be used to fill a hole that the uh, finance ministry may or may not have missed, may have intended to close, but didn't. Right. That's their issue. That's not the purpose of GAR. Right. And so if a decision comes out, they have the immediate option to change the law and fix if, right. in fact, it is a gap in the law. Exactly. Let's let, not let, this one taxpayer... Whether they get away with it or not is not really the material issue. The material issue is, are we improving the words of this act, the code of this act? The act is an organism. The words are its DNA, right? This is a process of evolution. If you reveal that the code's wrong, we ought to pat the 
taxpayer on the back and say, thanks, you just revealed it. We're going to fix our code and everybody's better off and this thing will be more fit for purpose in the future. Or not fix it because this really wasn't a gap. Exactly. I mean, there are incentives in the act specifically for the purpose to cause conduct, conduct designed to encourage and stimulate the economy and finance by reducing the tax that results from that conduct. And you can't then turn around and say, well, so you used it for a different type of related conduct we didn't really think about. But the we is the CRA, not necessarily right. finance ministry. Right, right, right. And GAR's, uh, GAR's very, it's very clear that GAR isn't to fill a gap, and it's not to create a moral opportunity for the CRA. It's there only to fix a violation of a clear policy. That right. Is- yeah, it was, it was Rothstein and Copthorne that said any moral opprobrium is inappropriate right. right and that's beautiful so let's let's we assume too much is tax avoidance okay in canada tax avoidance is more than okay in canada right tax evasion which is lying or misrepresenting that you have income is very different than tax avoidance and the uh, many people confuse the two okay so let's stay there for a second evasion is where you don't tell them something that you should have told them, or you lie about something. We're not talking about that, right? Tax evaders, that is a that is a whole different ball game. We're talking about managing people's affairs such that they minimize tax and fully reporting this is what we did. In the case of the smart savings program, you've gone further. You're fully reporting. You're telling them this is a tax shelter. I want a number. I want a registration number. So there's full disclosure going on. Full transparency. And then, as you said earlier, the second step in GAR is it has to be an avoidance transaction before you're even considering the third step. So there's nothing wrong with avoidance transaction. I mean, an RSP contribution is an avoidance transaction, right? It's just another word for tax minimization right? by using attributes specifically designed in the Income Tax Act to encourage it for the benefit of taxpayers. Right. Or to encourage an industry. Right. So, I mean, that brings up a a final point on GAR, and that is, you know, maybe the sort of civilians that are listening are educated a little bit about what this means, above and beyond the narrative or the slogan. Um, but really, I think we're best when they bring their tax lawyers. If somebody has a tax lawyer, really, that's when bring them. we can cut right through it. And and in five minutes, determine, A, this is a genuinely fantastic product that's well-built, gold standard, and B, does it apply to your client's situation or not, right? It's just so easy. The more educated somebody is. The more educated a tax lawyer is the best individual right. to take a look at this yeah. and be able to give proper advice to the client. Right. Thanks very much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or maybe you have something to add to the conversation, we're at redjacket.ca. And on the website, you'll see the phrase relationships matter. We really believe that and encourage you to start one with us. Thanks again for listening.